It's always good. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words you've given Jim. Lord, thank you for uh, his wisdom and discernment. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the blessing he is to us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you want to speak powerfully through him today. Lord, we want to uh, really hear what it is that you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would uh, rest on him powerfully now, that he would uh, speak your word to us. Amen. I'm not going to say the nights are drawing in. But they are, aren't they? Now, August the 18th means that we are right at the height of the silly season with so many on holiday. Uh, There is a part of the UK that really loves the silly season. But I won't mention those aisles off Cornwall, as that would be silly. How many of you have been abroad on holiday recently? You may raise your hands. Anybody been abroad recently? Oh, I won't respond to that. I was going to say to a non-native English-speaking country, but you'd probably still say Derbyshire, knowing Peter. Anyway, those of you who've been abroad this year to a non-native English-speaking country, did you try to speak the local language? I see nod. That's all the way. Okay. But if you have, have you noticed how the local people respond? Because they tend to love it and to appreciate it when people take the trouble to learn a bit of the local language. Uh, I remember once when Margaret and I were in Italy that she spoke to a local shopkeeper in Italian and the Italian man spoke back to her in German. Now, I didn't know that last week Peter was going to have a little quiz because I'd prepared a little quiz as well for this week. So I'm allowed to say that the fellowship is going through a quizzical time. Am I? All right. So it's a a, a little quiz, and it's about vocabulary. I tried it out on Margaret, and she passed it with flying colours. Okay, are you ready? Who can tell me the technical word in English for someone who can speak many languages? Remember, it's based on two Latin words that mean many and language or tongue. Nick, I think I saw your hand. Ah, now, he's ahead of me. When I say Nick, the word is based on two Latin words. That's all right. I'll come back to you. Oh, many languages. We're getting there. Anybody else? Multilingual. Many languages. Now, there is another word we use in English that is based on the Greek, which has got many and language. Nick, what is that? Polyglot. <laughs> It is, that's polyglot, that uh, means 
somebody who speaks many languages. Doing very well so far. Does anybody know the technical word for someone who speaks three languages? Did you say trilingual? Uh, they're good here. How about the technical word for somebody who speaks two languages? Oh, you're almost there. And last of all, what's the word for somebody who only speaks one language? I'm told it's English. Englishman. <laughs> who was that? No, no. An Englishman, is that you? Exactly. A person who only speaks one language is normally an Englishman. Now, the English are not known for their speaking other languages. Whereas, so many foreigners seem to know English quite well. I mean, have you noticed that when some news breaks, uh, like a disaster in some remote part of the world that we've never even heard of, the news team always seems to be able to find some fairly local person who knows some English. It's amazing to me. Now, learning the language of another nation is a small way to show our appreciation of them, to pay a compliment, as well, of course, as to be able to communicate well with them. Well, what I want us to do this morning, is it going to come up? Yes, please. What I want us to do this morning is to learn a language that we don't normally speak. It's not actually not working for me when I press it. Uh, just a minute. And that's the native tongue that our Father God speaks. Okay. Now don't worry, I don't mean Hebrew. Mind you, one professor of Hebrew at an English university used to begin his first lecture on teaching the Hebrew language by saying to his pupils, gentlemen, this is the language which God spoke. Remember, a good way to deepen your relationship with someone is to talk the language the other person naturally speaks and understands. Now, the language that our God speaks, his native language, is, of course, the language of the Bible in the sense of the content of the Word of God. This is how he expresses himself, how he tells us what he is like and what he likes, what he wants, what he's after, how and what he communicates. So, I want us to learn to converse with our Father in his own native tongue. Now, God's word is full of God's promises. Uh, they say that the most common subject the English talk about is the weather. That's the common thing about the English. In God's word, the most common subject he talks about is what he promises. His native tongue is found in the scriptures and his native language is the language of promises. The promises of God fill the Bible from beginning to end. 
from the first man and woman in the first chapters of the first book of uh, the Bible, Genesis, to the promise to believers at the end of the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The first promise in Genesis is that God promises to provide food for us human beings. The last promise in Revelation is that Jesus will return to earth for us. He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. Now the early chapters of Genesis talk about the the land the Lord God promises to his people, the promised land. One Christian teacher has said that for Christians, the Bible is the land of promises. God's Old Testament covenant people are called to live in the promised land, but all Christians are called to live in the land of promises. And we need to remember that our our Father God is obliged only to say, do, fulfill what he said, what is revealed in his word. And when we verbalize his word in prayer, we're praying in his will. We're speaking his language, his native tongue, what he truly and naturally understands. Now I want us just to look in detail at one particular passage that explains about Father God and his words of promise as the key to all of them. And it's Numbers 23, verse 19, which says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Now remember, it's always important to look carefully at the context of any verse or any passage to understand clearly what is being said. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it said that a text without a context is a pretext. If you don't look very carefully at the context of verses, you can actually make the Bible say anything you want. Uh, Remember the classic example of this is the person who said, do you know, it says in the Bible, there is no God. And it does. It's the second half of the first verse of Psalm 14, where it says, there is no God. But the verse starts by saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You need to read the whole thing to understand it. Now here in Numbers we have the intriguing story of Balak and Balaam. Uh, Balak, he was the king of Moab, an enemy of God's people. And God's people were camped right next to his country. And he was rather afraid and annoyed. And then you have Balaam. He's this rather odd figure. Some sort of soothsayer, a clairvoyant, a diviner, well known in his day. Uh, Today he would have his daily column in the paper or a regular slot on television telling your horoscope for you from the stars. 
So Balak asks Balaam to put a curse on God's people. So here we have an enemy of God's people who wants them cursed, thrown out of the promised land, got rid of, destroyed, just like many nations today in regard to Israel. Now if this happened then or today, then God's promises would be proved to be false, untrue. The promises he's made to his people would be made null and void. God would not be a God of his word. So in in this context, God actually speaks to this strange man and he gives him what he wants to say. And verse 19 is the message that Balaam receives from the living God, what he has to say. So here in this verse, we're talking about God as opposed to man. What God is like as opposed to man. And the writer draws a big contrast between God and man. Between two diametrical opposites. He's talking about God and his promises and you can't put God in the same league as man. So let me ask you, do you believe everything that man, that people, that human beings tell you? Like politicians? I think, was Dave? Dave's here, isn't he? Dave Brandon? I think Dave mentioned a couple of weeks ago, how many percents of this nation would not buy a used car from Boris Johnson? Was it about 60%? Can you remember? Oh, that's better. Even less would take his advice about the barber to use. <laughs> Do you believe what estate agents tell you? Do you believe what advertisers tell you? Human beings lie. They tell you something and do something else. And we're so used to men and their broken promises. Human beings lie by nature. You don't have to teach a child to lie. It's natural. But we're not talking about a human being, says Numbers. We're talking about God. The God who makes promises. Father God is faithful by nature. It's not in him to lie. The only lying you have associated with our God is his son Jesus lying on the cross to fulfill the promises God has made. The God who said, cross my heart and hope to die rather than break a single promise. Remember that our God crossed his heart, the love of his heart, the one he loved, Jesus, to show he keeps all his 
promises. Uh, the original here puts it very powerfully, very vividly, with its word order by starting this way. Not a man, God. Not a man. We are talking chalk and cheese. Not a man who lies. It uses the, the specific, the generic word for God and the specific generic word for man. It is God in contrast with all men. God is not a man that he should lie. Remember that men lie by nature. And this word for, for deceive means to break fidelity. It's used of water failing. You know, you go to the reservoir, you go to the river, you go to the stream, you go to the well, you go to the tap to find water, but it's dry. There's nothing there. The expectation is unfulfilled. Did anybody watch those Serengeti programs? If you remember, Serengeti plane flooded with water, and then absolutely dry, parched. The animals went to where they usually went. There was nothing there. So this word means promises dried up. Their promises dry up. That's men. But God is not a man. He does not lie. God is not a man of his word. He is the God of his word. And his word is Jesus, the word of God, in whom all his promises are yes. We had that quoted this morning. All his promises are yes. Okay? So this is then underlined and repeated. Remember that all God's promises are yes in Jesus. So here what is being said is underlined, repeated for emphasis. God is not a son of man, he's not a son of Adam, he's not a typical human being who changes his mind, who gets things wrong and has to do things differently. And this word means to repent of something, simply to change your mind. We get things wrong. We don't know all the facts, so we change our mind. Or we can change our minds because that will make things easier for us or more convenient for us or get us what we want. That's a son of man. That's being human. That's being very human, but it is not God. He has all the facts all the time and he's faithful, constant, reliable. He's a trustworthy person He's not volatile. Then the verse goes on to ask a, a couple of rhetorical questions and they both expect the answer, no. The way you ask a question can reveal the answer you want. You will come tomorrow, won't you? That expects the answer, yes. yes. Whereas, 
You don't like Marmite, do you? That expects the answer, no, no, no. (laughs) So we have the rhetorical question here. Does he, does God speak and then not act? Does he speak and not act? Does he say something and then not do it? Of course not. That's like saying the sun is shining and it's pitch black. The second question, does he promise something and then not fulfill it? Does he make a promise and break it? Never, never, never. That would be like squaring the circle. But did you know that uh, in Hebrew, many of the prophetic promises made about what will happen in the future are actually put in the past tense because they are as good as having happened the moment God promises they will happen. It's known as the prophetic past tense. See, promised future events are so certain that they are referred to in the past tense as if they had already happened. As good as done. Here's just one example from Genesis concerning the the promised land. Uh, In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, you've got God speaking to Abram. He's still totally, you know, well, not fatherless, he's sonless, he hasn't got any children whatsoever. And this is what the Hebrew text literally says. To your descendants, I have given this land. This promise to Abram of the promised land, to his descendants, the people of Israel, is made before Abram has a single descendant to give the land to. But God puts his promise in the past to emphasize the certainty. When God promises he will do something, it is as good as done. God is as good as his word. What he says he will do, he will do. Now God's native language, as I said, is his promises. And he keeps all of them. It's his native language. And it's referred to throughout the whole of the Bible. Just uh, two or three examples, picked at random almost. In Joshua 29:45, it says this, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. If you take Nehemiah, he was in Babylon, and he'd heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, the gates burnt, and the returning exiles were in trouble. So what does he do? He prays to the Lord by reminding him of the promises he had made to Moses about God's people and Jerusalem. Now, of course, God doesn't have to be reminded in the sense that he'd forgotten. He doesn't forget what he's promised. We remind him because it helps us to remember what he has promised because we forget. And we're told always, not me, to read the small print. 
to be clear about the T's and C's. Well, as Christians, always read the bold print, what God has promised. Learn to speak his native tongue. And one of my favorite verses on this subject is in Isaiah 62, verse 2, where again, Jerusalem's in trouble. And this is what God himself tells his people. He tells them to remind him of his promises and to give him no rest until he does what he promised. So can you hear God saying, nag me, nag me, keep nagging me. He wants us to take his promises seriously. He wants us to know them, be familiar with them, be fluent in his native language, the language of promises, and to remind him of them in his own languages, his own language. So, learn the promises of God. Uh, figures show that Christians, as far as knowing and learning the Bible are concerned, are as bad as the English learning a foreign language is concerned. Sadly, the promises of God are like a foreign language to most Christians. I'm encouraging us all to learn the Father's promises. Claim them. Plead them. Trust them. You don't have to answer this question out loud. Are you or those you know facing a problem, a need, or a difficulty? Find a promise of God that fits that problem, that need, that situation, like you would find a plaster that fits to stick over a wound. Look for a promise that fits and talk to your Heavenly Father in the language he understands using his words of promise. Don't focus on your problem, but on his promise. Don't keep your concentration on the problem, but keep your concentration on the promise. Don't keep thinking about the problem and talking about it, but think about the promise and keep speaking it. Don't keep looking at the problem, but do keep looking at the promise. So remember that when you can't count on anything else, you can always count on the Lord's promises. So don't keep on telling him about your problem. Keep telling him about his promise. Give him no rest. Nag him! Nag him! So let me say again that Jesus is God's word, God's language. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus. So if you like, God's dialect, God's accent, as it were, is Jesus. That's how he speaks. This is his native tongue. He speaks 
with a Jesus accent. His native language is not that he speaks in Hebrew or New Testament Greek or even in English. He speaks in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the guarantee, the deposit, the down payment for all the promises Father God has made. The Father deposited Jesus, put him down on a cross to fulfill all the promises he made. Jesus is the down payment. His life laid down on the cross to pay the full cost of all God's promises to a rebellious, sinful people. So you and I can put a cross next to every one of the Father's promises to show that it's yes, yes, yes for us because the Father put a cross on the Son. So let's learn to speak fluently the Father's native language. Uh, it's, it's not as easy as sort of I'm making out because we have to take the promises seriously to believe them. Uh, as some of you may know, in this left ear of mine, it's a bit noisy. See, it doesn't really affect me too much. It doesn't cause me lack of sleep or anything, but there's a noise there. And many years ago, I say, Lord, would you please do something about this noise in my left ear? And I'm sure I heard him say to me, Jim, when my promises are louder in your ear than that noise, you will be healed. And I haven't really been able to take that promise seriously enough. So we really do need to hear the promises of God more loudly in our ears than whatever our problems and difficulties are. So I want to end with a a story I came across, I think, last week. Uh, You know, we Christians in this country, in the West as a whole, don't realize how well off and blessed we are spiritually. We take it so much for granted that we have the whole Bible in English, in lots of translations. How many people here have got more than one translation of the whole Bible? It's amazing, isn't it? We take it so much for granted. There are many parts of the world where people's native language hasn't even been written down. And there are many groups of people who don't have any of the Bible in their own native tongue. And it's always lovely to to read how thrilled they are when they begin to get it. And uh, I read of, I think, I don't know how to pronounce this, but I'll say it's Rendili, people of Kenya. They only got their complete New Testament last year. Most of those people are illiterate. They can't read or write even in their own Rendile language. But on receiving the audio version on her phone, one woman excitedly exclaimed, God speaks my language! Now relate that to how God feels when he hears us speaking his native 
language. Jim speaks my language. How that would thrill him if I did. So let me encourage us all to live in the land of promises. To hear the language spoken, to learn it, to speak it to ourselves and to one another, and of course, to Father himself. Amen. Okay, so this, again, just let's be quiet before the Lord. You will know how well or otherwise you know the amazing promises that God makes. You'll know whether you're specifically claiming promises for needs that you have or your family or others. But do remember that God's native language is the promises that he makes all paid for, fulfilled, ours in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are the God who loves to communicate with your people. You love to have a real living relationship with every single one of us. We thank you that Jesus is the Word of God. We thank you that you speak fully to us in and through Jesus. And we thank you that the most important word was Jesus dying on the cross, rising again, ascending, glorified in heaven, because all your promises are yes and amen in him. So, Lord, please help us to learn to speak your language, the language of promises. Lord, it's amazing that you, the living, holy God, tell your people to nag you until the promises you have made have been fulfilled. So, Lord, please help us to understand what you want to say to us this morning. And may you be thrilled as you hear us more and more learning to speak in your native language. Thank you. Amen.